0: moments you've had when he does enter the room, what, uh, what do those moments look like? What does that look like when you say, I felt the presence of God with me, what does that look like? Whatever, time hop, back, back, back. And when we go to a new year, so many times we actually look forward and go, I can't wait until this happens or this happens or this happens. But maybe you should take a spiritual time hop. You should go, hey, Jesus has actually been at work in your life, whether you've realized it or not, for a long time. Six years ago, five years ago, four years ago, three years ago, two years ago, 2018. God was doing a lot in your life. And now you're here. I believe God wants to do something pretty big in our lives as a church and individually. So let's pray, and then uh, then you can be seated. Father, we are so grateful for everyone that's here. Those who are courageous enough to visit church for the first time in a long time, those who are faithful and have been to church over and over, Lord, it's a new year, and Good news is we didn't have to wait till 2019. Your mercies are new every single morning. And I pray the mercy that you give us when we're doubting and uncertain, when we're frustrated, when we're wrestling with you, that mercy that you give us, may it be just fresh, Lord. A fresh, fresh mercy today. And we look back and we thank you, God, for the progress that's been made. And we look forward to taking another step towards you today. In Jesus' name, amen. You can go ahead and be seated,
1: and we'll get started. You know, like the stuff that I would wanna talk about wouldn't really be good at church, you know? But if you could ask about anything, what would you ask? Um, I don't know, just, like, why does God seem so messed up in the Bible? And Like, killing all the time. And Christians, too. Seems like there's lots of crazy stuff Christians do, you know? Like, we definitely never talk about that. Or maybe, I don't know, other religions might actually be right, too. Or better than ours. Like. Maybe there's lots of ways to get to God, I don't know. So, see, it's not really super great questions for church. Totally, totally. Yeah, no, I, I get it, I just, I mean, I have some of the same questions too, actually. I, they're good questions. Actually, a lot of older people at the church have the same ones, they just don't talk about it.
0: You can always ask me any question you want, okay? If you're ever sitting there thinking,
1: Can I ask that? The answer is yes. You can ask that, okay? Okay.
0: Okay. Well, this morning, someone actually asked me about my habits of going to the coffee shop called Downpours, so I do have a habit. This morning, I was at Downpours, a coffee shop off Tennyson, and I was talking to a guy that I talked to a lot just in passing, better? Just this one. Oh, good, thank you, thank you. <laughs> Thanks Walter. Uh, I was talking to this guy at the coffee shop and we, in passing, we usually talk to each other. And, uh, and we'll say hi, how are you, those sort of things. And so today I'm sitting down, working on a few things, and he comes and sits next to me. He says, hi Preston. I said, hey, how are you? He said, good. And then he like jumped in the deep end. You know one of those conversations where you're like, oh my goodness, I came here actually because I needed to get work done, and now, now we're there. We're like in the deep end, and let's go, let's talk. So he starts talking about God, and he starts talking about his dad, and his dad was a pastor, um, of a pretty charismatic Pentecostal church, and he said, you know, like, and he's talking to me as if, like, I don't really know what a pastor is, but I said, oh, okay, like, we're, we're talking about that, And he said, it was really hard because I got kicked out of my house for asking questions, being raised in this household. And I go, oh, well, thanks, Lord, because we're talking about Doubters Club, the series, Today, so I can't really like say, Sorry, I got to make slides for tonight's sermon instead of talking to you. I can't shut you down based on your questions, right? You'll get what I'm saying. So, so we're, we're sitting there talking, and he goes, y- You know, like, I don't know if you're used to the whole ministry pastor thing or what that means. And I said, No, nah, a little bit, you know. And I told him, I said, Did you know I'm a pastor? He said, No, I didn't know you're a pastor, but that makes sense because all you do is listen to people. That's what he told me about my what I do in the coffee shop. And I said, Well, that's I that's all I do, I guess, and, uh, and then I told him about this thing called Doubters Club that our church does, where we uh, get a believer and an unbeliever, and, and they, they model friendship and pursue truth together, that's been the vision statement of the Doubters Club for years, and uh, even today we had a Doubters Club, I came straight from there to here, and, uh, and, and I said, we have all these different worldviews and talk about questions and uh, sometimes the people come to church from that sometimes they won't but regardless we get to talk about God in the context of asking healthy questions and this is what he told me he said I wish that was around when like when I was growing up and I said well you're welcome to come to our church and he said I think I'll come to church next week I, I have work this week I'm gonna have to ask for the time off I said great we'd love to have you and so I told him I said our church listen uh, whether you're a believer or you're not a believer or you're somewhere in between we, we really want to do community with you and life with you and all stuff and, and he tells me it's so important that churches like that exist and I'm going well this is better than any slide I could have made you know like this is he, he's telling me a church like that that allows you to ask questions in a space like Doubters Club that allows that to take place is so much better than any um, than any, any other church he's been to So I I tell you that to say this. Doubters Club is this club that was started a few years ago and uh, the church participates in that. In fact, I am inviting you personally to the February 3rd meeting. We do it the first Sunday of every month and I'll keep inviting you and uh, talk about issues that matter. And what we're gonna talk through are some of the big questions, like these big questions that have been brought up. And we're actually going Genesis one through three because Genesis one through three covers all of these big questions, okay? So this is a really big deal. And if you're here and you go, I, I have some questions about faith. Good, you're in the right place at the right time. You say, I don't have any questions about p- faith. You need to start having questions and you need to start asking the tough questions because when tragedy comes or suffering comes or the unpredictable comes, you may not know how you're gonna handle that certain thing unless you build a theology that's gonna ground you in, in, in what we're gonna talk about. And I'll tell you this, what we're talking about is not just up here, head knowledge, it is transformative. My hope is that even by the end of today, you'll go, man, when we learn about God, like when we learn about who He is, and we're able, that's able to stand up against the lies in our life, makes a big difference, okay? So that, that's why we're doing it. So I'm going to pray for us, and we're going to jump into this question of, can science and the Bible coexist, okay? Can science and the Bible coexist? We good? This one fine? Or this one? A? B? A? A, okay. Okay, let's go ahead and pray. Jesus, we pray for our hearts. If we are at all in a posture of unbelief, we, we, say, um, we say, help us with our unbelief. And, and Lord, if we say we are strong in our belief in you, we say, Lord... Help us build on that for the hard days to come. And and may, may we, wherever we find ourselves, be open to what you would say and be open to what you've done at the beginning of the world and what that means for us. And Lord, I just ask that you would guide our hearts and our minds, that may we worship you in spirit and in truth, with all of our heart, soul, mind, 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 in strength, Lord. Our worship would be full today, in Jesus' name. Amen? Okay, we're going to do a little activity. Think about your favorite Christmas present that you got. Okay, your favorite Christmas present. If you didn't get a Christmas present, just come up, we'll give you a Christmas present. Because everybody deserves a Christmas present. Uh, think of your favorite present. When you opened that present, now, you're not supposed to actually know what's in the present, right? So, So many people... Whatever, you're cheaters. But you're not supposed to actually know what's in the present. When you open that present, think of the initial response that came to you. What did you think? Your initial, now if it's your favorite present, you're not experiencing disappointment because like this was your favorite present, okay? All your other presents maybe from like grandma or crazy aunt, but this one, this is your favorite. So our daughters, when they, our daughter Brennan, she's three going on four. And when we do Christmas shopping, the two of us, it's really hard because we're like, guess what? It's like what your parents and my parents had to do, where we're going, hey, uh, we need you to take the other kid over here so that we can get the present for them and then run it to the car and then run back and be like, sorry, I had to use the restroom for 20 minutes. You know what I mean? You just make up something. And so, so Brennan walks up to us. This is, just after, this is uh, just after Thanksgiving sometime, and she had this Mickey Mouse grill set, okay? So it's like a kid's toy grill, okay? And she's holding it and it's as big as her and she's walking with it and she said, this is what I want. And we said, you gotta play the whole game. Maybe for Christmas, we don't know, but you're like, we gotta, she's gonna get it, but you can't just give it away then because it's not a surprise for like, maybe. She goes, that's what I want though, that's what I want. So then I had to go back and get it. Okay, so we got the present. So she wakes up every morning and she does, says, hey dad, where's my Mickey Mouse Girl set? Every morning. So then we put up the Christmas stuff, and she says, hey, where's my uh, Mickey Mouse Girl set? It's Christmas. And you go, no, it's the season of Christmas. It's not actually Christmas, Brennan, it's the season. She goes, okay, every day. Where's my Girl set, where's my Girl set? And then, once we wrapped it, once you wrapped this monster, I'm like, we should've put this in something else because she's gonna know. It. So we put it under the tree, and she goes, that's my Mickey Mouse Girl set. <laughs> so, for weeks, she goes, That's my Mickey Mouse Girl set. So then guess what we get to do on Christmas Eve when we opened a present? We said, which present do you want to open? Guess what she opened? Mickey Mouse Girl set, right? If you didn't know, that was the one she picked. And so she goes to that one and she opens it and gets so excited, just like you did with your favorite gift. You got excited over it, whatever it was. What she didn't do is she didn't say, hey, how long did it take the person to make this? Uh, what tools did they use? How exactly was it done? She didn't do any of that stuff. What she wants to know is, okay, how do we play now? Like, how do we interact with the thing before us? How do we get, like, how do I use this to where it benefits me, and how do we have a good time? This is what she wants to know, okay? What she didn't ask and what you didn't ask was, how much time did it take? What tools did you use? All this stuff. Doesn't matter how complicated or simple your gift was, you just don't ask those questions. And yet when we get to Genesis 1 so many people think that Genesis 1 is a science book that Genesis chapter 1 is supposed to tell you the timeline the tools that were used it's supposed to be a science book but but let me just like speak clearly ancient Hebrew texts had genres okay that they were certain genres they were supposed to be interpreted in light of what they were saying and what they were trying to say, a genre is a type of literature, and I remember when I went to Israel, I talked to our guide who was a rabbi, and when I was talking to him, I, I was talking to him about Genesis 1, and this is what he said, you Christians think Genesis 1 is a science book, it's not, it's a poem, it's a poem. Genesis 1 is very, uh, there's so much repetition in Genesis 1. It's very poetic in the way that it flows. And the the reason it does this is because you weren't supposed to open it and you weren't supposed to go, give me timeline, tell me the tools. It's not a science book, but it tells you how to interact with the world and it tells you how to play in the world and it tells you who God is. And more importantly, more importantly than any of that, it tells you something about God that's different than any of the other gods that were worshipped. Does that make sense? So if you're here and you say, nope, I have to interpret it literally, literal, like seven days, the earth is 7,000, 8,000 years old. We're, I, I, we're going to give space for that. And if you're here and you go, I don't even know if I believe in Genesis 1 because it is crazy that there's light before there's sun, that there, are like, that's crazy, this is weird. Okay, we're going to give room for that. What we're going to get to is the purpose of Genesis 1. To show you, look, science and the bible are not at war with each other i mean i um i forget what author it was that said this but they said god has actually given us two books he's given us the word of god and then he's given us the word of nature the word of nature also tells us about god tells us things about god who god is romans tells us that the nature reflects the beauty and power of god But the two are not at war with each other. So science is finding out how things began or how things work. What is the way in which things work and the scientific method and all these different ways that we can utilize the discipline of science. Genesis one is not trying to make that claim. It's not trying to do that. Uh, it, It would be like if we've used this illustration before, if someone said, go break a leg, And and then someone 2,000 years later reads that, 3,000 years later reads that, and they're like, man, if I said that to my friend Ryan, say, Ryan, go break a leg on your date tonight. And he's like, and then someone reads that later, and they're like, man, Preston hated Ryan. No, that's not at all. I was using language in a different way. What if Genesis 1, the author, was using language in a way to combat the false gods and to tell you something about God, but wasn't making scientific claims. And and I would argue that's that's what was happening. Okay, Genesis one um, takes us through a whole lot of what God did. And let, and let me let me just put it this way: when you get into Genesis two, I, I think it's verse three or four, it actually feels more like a narrative. It feels more. It's like almost like it's starting over this creation story. Well, because what you have is you have a poem, and then you have narrative. And, and this happens all throughout Scripture. You'll have battles that are fought, and then you'll have poems about those battles that are fought. You'll have Jesus being born, and then you'll have poems or songs about Jesus being born. And when you read the poems or the songs, they're not at all like giving you literal interpretations of exactly what happened and what sword was used. and all. You're, you're not getting a word-for-word interpretation. It's a style. It's meaning to get something across. The, the Bible does this all throughout itself, and it starts with this poem. Now, let me tell you why. Because in ancient Near Eastern um, literature, there were stories written about God, the gods, creating. All the stories about the gods creating were saying the gods were creating out of wrath, out of war, out of anger. It might be the skin of one god that's torn across the sky, makes the stars, because those are the holes in some of the skin... Right? It's like wrathful, vengeance. It's one, one of the documents called the Enuma Elish that is talking specifically about how all this came to be based on the wrath of the gods. And then you get Genesis 1 that says, based on the goodness of the God he created. It's pretty powerful. It's not claiming to be your biology lesson. It's claiming to be a soul lesson in the midst of all the gods you could worship this is why this one deserves your worship so let's read genesis 1. in the beginning god created the heavens and the earth the earth was without form and void and darkness was over the face of the deep and the spirit of god was hovering over the face of the waters and god said let there be light and there was light and god saw that light was good and god separated light from the darkness God called the light day and the darkness he called night. And there was evening and there was morning the first day. And God said, let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters and let it separate the waters from the waters. Let me tell you what this means. Have you ever, if you didn't know the world was like this, okay? You're like, no, the world's flat. No, it's not. It, okay, the world's like this. It's a, it's a circle. The world's a circle, okay? It's a sphere. Uh, and, and whenever... and. And if you didn't know that If you look with your eyes As far as you can, you'll see kind of a curvature Well, it looks like a curvature To the sky Well, a lot of culture back then Thought that the world was like a snow globe That it was like the expanse Was separating the waters above just blue like water from the waters below This is why they write this way expanse from the waters uh, And God made the expanse and separated the waters That were under the expanse from the waters That were above the expanse, and it was so And we can go on and on and on about God created, God created, God created. And it's very poetic. It's very repetitive. And it's supposed to impact you in this way. It's supposed to be like laser focused for you on this God is worth your worship. And this God is like no other God that you could worship. Now, is there a narrative account of the creation? Sure. What we're reading here is a poem. So, it's not trying to be a science book. We shouldn't make it try to do something it wasn't trying to do. It was trying to actually stir your affections. Okay? How beautiful that the Bible opens up with a poem that's supposed to stir you away from all the other gods so that you'd look at the God of light, who has the power to separate light and darkness and to create life in the midst of all that's going on. It's a powerful, powerful God. No other God can do this. This is Genesis 1. Genesis 1. So here's here's the question we're going to ask two questions and they're going to like really make a difference in the way you might think about how the bible and science interact but more importantly on how you interact with this text and how this text interacts with you now again let me say this if you have a view that says what people call a young earth creationist view you say no i believe that the earth is at most ten thousand years old there's room for that we're not actually I'm not trying to make a claim that's going to disprove that. I'm not going to call you up here on the seat and we're going to argue and have our own doubters clout. We're not going to do all that, okay? And if you're over here and you're like, I'm a theistic evolutionist. I think that God started the whole thing. I, I just, big bang, God started the big bang and then his hand has been over, all this stuff or whatever. Or if you say, I don't believe in God, we're going, hey, hey, would you give room to the fact that what this text is doing is this text is telling you who did it Why he did it and what he's like, what it's not trying to do is tell you the tools and the timeline, okay? Does that make sense? That's why we study this. So here's the first question. How the world began, I guess what, how I should have said it is, how did the world begin? With a question mark, okay? But here's kind of the first thing that we all kind of wonder, how did the world begin? What we know from the text is like two really important things that are going to seem so obvious until we talk about Um God is the one who did it, God created, and then we're gonna talk about God actually created, like the reason he did that. So first we know this, God's behind it. So either the universe exists or it doesn't exist. Okay, start there. Can we all agree the universe exists? No, okay, if you don't agree with that, just keep listening, it's gonna be harder for you as we go down the line, okay? But the universe exists. The universe had a beginning or did not have a beginning. If it exists, had a beginning or did not have a good beginning. Now, um, there is not a reputable scientist that will say that the universe is eternal. It's continuing to expand, for sure, but that it's eternal. Um, all the reputable scientists will say it had a beginning. There's a point. That's why they say the Big Bang. There's a point that it all began. Had a beginning, didn't have a beginning. Now, here, here's the second question, our third question. The beginning was personal or impersonal? That's kind of where the debate lies. Beginning was personal or impersonal. It's pretty powerful that the scripture says, in the beginning, God created. Only personal things create. Um, just the mixture of matters and motion, those don't create. God created. And the way you can know this is, like, we look around, I know I'm being simplistic here, but you look around and you go, we are unique and wonderful, created, unique, we are created. We, we, you can rationalize what I'm saying right now. You can think about all the games, the football games that have happened this weekend while I'm preaching right now. You can do a thousand different, things. you are created, fearfully and wonderfully made. You are created. God created. How did the world begin? We don't actually know the exact timeline. There's, And we're not gonna jump into that because what I'm trying to show you tonight is that science and the Bible don't combat each other. There's room for timelines, but but here's the thing. You weren't there, I wasn't there, God was there. God created. So you go, it's Big Bang. Would you grant that God is the one who could create the Big Bang? If you go, he created the world with age like Adam, and so what? Okay, God created. There is a universe that exists that is not eternal, therefore something eternal had to create the universe. Something outside of time had to create time. Something outside of matter had to create matter. It's like me saying, um, I'm going to create wood, but I'm made of wood, I can't do that. It had to be outside of those things, time, matter, and space, God, the being outside of time, matter, and space. God created. What an amazing thing. How that all happened, we don't necessarily know. And it's fun to talk about. But what we do know is God was behind it. And he actually wanted to make personal beings. And he could have had a world without you in it. You'll hear me say this a lot, but it's a powerful thought. God could have created a 2019 without you here. God could have created a world in which you didn't exist, but He didn't create that world. He created this world where you do exist. So the fact that He created not just the world but you is an amazing um, gift to you, a gift of grace. God created. We're going to watch a video from a scientist who talks about his journey into this, and then we're going to get into what I think is actually the most powerful part of this passage.
1: grew up, faith was not something that was talked about very much. Uh, My father was a professor of drama, my mother a playwright. Uh, When I went to college and those discussions in the dorm late at night about religion uh, began to occur, I had no particular reason to attach value uh, to a faith system. It had never been something I was familiar with or had internalized at all. And I assumed that any religious feelings that anyone held must be on the basis of some emotional experience, and I didn't trust those, or on the basis of some childhood indoctrination, uh, which I felt I was fortunate to have missed. I loved the experience of learning about the human body and all of the components of that, and I particularly loved being introduced to genetics. But then I ended up, in, in the medical school curriculum, sitting at the bedside of patients with diseases. This was no longer an abstract study of molecules and organ systems. These were real people. And one afternoon, one of my patients, uh, a wonderful elderly woman, much like a grandmother, uh, who had very bad heart disease. Uh, She had a particularly bad episode of chest pain uh, while I was with her. She got through it, and at the end of that, explained to me how her faith was the thing that helped her in that situation. She realized that the doctors around her weren't really giving her that much help, but her faith was. After she finished her own very personal description uh, of that face she turned to me and I had been silent and she looked at me quizzically and she said what do you believe doctor and ultimately I had to admit to myself that her question had made me realize that I had arrived at an answer to the most important issue that we humans ever deal with is there a God and I had arrived there without ever really looking at the evidence And I was supposed to be a scientist. If there's one thing scientists claim they do is to arrive at conclusions based upon evidence. And I hadn't taken the trouble to do that. I was greatly assisted uh, by a pastor who lived down the road who I went and asked about all this and who gave me a copy of C.S. Lewis's wonderful book, Mere Christianity, because here was an Oxford scholar, a prodigiously developed intellect, who had traveled the same path. Within those pages, I realized for the first time that one can come to belief on a rational basis and that in fact, given the many pointers that one sees around oneself in terms of the universe and it having a beginning and it's fine-tuning in terms of the way in which all those constants that determine the behavior of matter and energy seem to have been set just in a certain, very precise range to make life possible. Uh, and many other things, including my beloved mathematics and why they actually work anyway to describe the universe, something that makes you think the Creator must have been a mathematician. That brought me then to the person of Jesus Christ. As a person who was historically extremely well documented, that was news to me. I thought Christ was as much myth as history, and I realized after reading more about it, this was a historical figure upon which we have a great deal of evidence for his existence and his teachings and even his rising from the dead in a literal way. That day at uh, my patient's bedside started a journey for me. A journey that I was reluctant uh, to begin but I felt I needed to. A journey that I thought would result in strengthening my atheism but to my surprise resulted in my conversion.
0: Alpha is a program that Bo has run for the church last year and, and uh, our church will continue to do. And Nathan ran this with Bo and they did a great job. They, um, and it is actually another step for people in Doubters Club to be able to pursue the faith. Let me, let's talk about the question I think gets highly personal. Okay? If you can just be open to the fact that God created. Just be open to that fact. And, and if you're like, I already knew this. Well, welcome to your refresher. We're gonna dive into something that actually gets really personal and it's this, uh, this question, why the world began. There are clues throughout this text. Um, it's eight times God speaks. God speaks when he creates something. This is incredibly powerful. That you do wonder, why would the poet write it this way? Why would they say, he or she say, and God spoke, and God spoke, and God spoke? Why, why would it happen this way? Well, the reason that this happens is, is if we can see all of Scripture working together. Scripture interprets Scripture in that John 1 says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the Word dwelt among us. And it equates Jesus to the Word that was spoken in the beginning. So you have you have this happening in in one chapter. Follow me here. You have the Spirit of God hovering over the void, hovering over. Um, what is darkness you have the spirit of god as a character you have someone speaking we'd say that's the father and then you have the word which is the son you have the father son and spirit in the first chapter you have this holistic picture of who god is father son and spirit three in one this is why we worship a triune god okay you have this picture of god and and this is why he creates okay this is referred to as the dance of god that the Father exalts the Son, the Son exalts the Spirit, the Spirit exalts the Father. There, within God Himself, there is deep love without selfish love. Can you follow that? Okay, it's like, it's like saying God would have had to have something to love in order to, for love to exist, but love has always been who God is because God's always existed as the three-in-one, Father, Son, and Spirit. Out of that love, He creates out of that love. One um, pastor, Timothy Keller, put it like this. He said, and it's a chapter called The Dance of God in the book called The Reason for God, and he says, it's as if Father, Son, and Spirit said, so much joy and love. Let's multiply, let's expand the circle. Let's let other people in. He created God, God's overflow of love created. He created things, not out of wrath and war, but be out of love, out of who he is, in order to have more fellowship, more fellowship, more fellowship. He created, and he created this world, and he created you, and he created me, and then he said this thing, it is good. Now, again, I don't know what you think, why you think God created if you thought he got lonely, right? I don't know, like, if you've never thought about thinking about that, why do you think God created in the first place? Was he bored? Was he, like, was he challenged by another angel i bet you can't create something called a human right what do you think happened like a good theology would tell us the person of god overflowed in joy and wanted to expand his fellowship to other beings he created us in his image male and female in his image and then he said they are good everything he created is good so so follow me here when you call something good it's a pretty big deal. When you say, if you're, if let's say you go get a cup of coffee, and if we get a cup of coffee together, and um, it's not downpours, it's some other place, your favorite place, and you go, oh, this is such a good cup of coffee, and, and I'm not gonna compare it to my favorite, so I'm just gonna say, yeah, it's good too, this is a good cup of coffee, we, we do that together. What we're saying is, I enjoy this, I really enjoy this. You watch a movie and you go, this is a really good movie. Or you watch a movie and you go, that's a bad movie. What you're saying is, I enjoy this or I don't enjoy this. It's not just a stamp of approval when you say, this is good. It's an enjoyment factor. This is why in scripture, God is shown in, in, in different ways, or different verbs that are used as celebrating, as shouting for joy over us, as fighting for us. When, when God said, this is good, he's, he's literally going, and this I enjoy. I enjoy this. I enjoy this. In fact, the word that's used in the scriptures as um, the spirit hovering is the only other time it's used in the Hebrew scriptures is when it's talking about like, like um, a hen taking care of the chicks, like wings that are over the chicks, or if it's talking about kind of a very motherly attribute. It's highly caring, okay, and it's, and and it's, it's Um, taking care of, it's hovering, it's caring for, is what the scripture says. So I don't know if you ever thought about this, the fact that God would say, I enjoy you. I enjoy you. And here's what's interesting if you live in Colorado. If you're just visiting, you should move to Colorado, because wherever you're from, it's not as cool as here. Um, If you live here, people at our church go hiking all the time, riding bikes, whatever, and and they're in nature, and, and here's what you'll know. It's not just a, a poem in Genesis one. It's like all of this is a song. The heavens declare the glory of God, right? The, the, it's as if you're looking and you go, I, there's majesty about the mountains. There's something amazing about the sky. This is why people hashtag no filter needed. What they're saying is God is good enough on his own, right? So, so it's like the beauty of creation is singing this song It's this song of praise. It's this song of praise. It's this song of praise. And it's been singing this as God goes from the beginning, it is good, I enjoy you. And it's been singing back, you are good, I enjoy you too. It's been singing this song, glorifying God, glorifying God, and welcoming you into the song, by the way, that you would be welcomed into the song of glorifying God. But we can't sing this song. We can't sing the song because, and, and by the way, when we think of God looking at us and going, you are good, just like all my creation, you are good. We actually know how broken we are and we are not able to receive that. We're not able to say, we can't look in the mirror and say, yes, I am good. All you gotta do is ask the person you're sitting next to you how good you actually are, right? You, you can't receive that wholeheartedly unless there was something done Unless there was a goodness that covered you. Unless there was like a righteousness that covered you and brought you back into the song, This is what Genesis 1. All creation is shouting back and forth to God in this poem. And, and, and we, when we're outside looking at beauty, we know, like, wow, there's a power behind the sun. There is something amazing about the stars when you're camping. There, there is beauty. God created and called it good. This is an amazing thing but we know we're not good unless there's a goodness that's wrapped around us and this is the gospel story from genesis 1 we are invited into this song and the only way we can enter into the song is through jesus it is through him actually imparting to us his righteousness and taking on himself our sin this is The gospel story so that we can receive the words from God you are good I enjoy you you've heard me say this before there's something I repeat to myself as I hear from God is you are God's very good idea I enjoy you you can receive those words because of Jesus without the goodness of Jesus we couldn't because we are the creation Although we are the um, creation, the only creation with God's image, we are also the creation that has rebelled against God and turned our back and shut our mouths and not sang the song. And creation is calling us out of that, which is what you saw the video of. And I would, I would tell you, if you've never joined in the chorus of all of creation, you can join in that chorus. Genesis 1 is inviting you to shout back to God, I enjoy you too. For you to receive the words from god you are good i enjoy you it's a poem it's a really powerful poem in christian history uh, we have it's a weird title for these people but christian mystics okay and if you go i don't like the name mystics it's okay you, we can just say uh, i was gonna say spiritualist but that sounds that may sound more weird to you C- christians who like to experience the presence of god is that better um we have uh actually people who would discipline their lives around what it is to be in communion with God. And they didn't seek experiences, by the way, but that was like a quality that they would actually have some sort of profound experience. And And there's one, Julian of Norwich, um, she was a Christian mystic. Now, hear me clearly, when I use that word, it could be abused. but this is someone who Uh, locked herself away, not from society, but just like certain times, she would just go to seek the Lord, and then she would help people on the side of the road, and, and she was very influential on C.S. Lewis. Her writings were very influential on him, and she had this vision one time, which was really powerful, um, and, and it was of her holding what seemed to be like a little pearl in her hand. I'm going to read you What she says about her vision is pretty short, but I just want you to imagine this. Julian Norwich, she writes about this and said, and in this he showed me a little thing, the quantity of a hazelnut lying in the palm of my hand as it seemed, and it was as round as any ball. I looked upon it with the eye of my understanding and thought, what is this? And it was answered generally as this. It's all that I made. I marveled. How it might last, for I thought it might suddenly have fallen through for its littleness, okay? The is so small and little, and then she hears God say, this is everything that I made, and, and she goes, this is about to, like, disintegrate in my hand. Okay, this is how the vision's going. I marveled at how it might mas- uh, have fallen for nothing, and I was answered in my understanding, it lasts and ever shall for God loves it. And so have all things their beginning by the love of God. Is what Genesis 1 says. In this little thing, I saw three properties. She said, the first is that God made it, the second that God loves it, and the third that God keeps it. It's like all, all is in the palm of God, God's hand. Does that sound familiar? It almost sounds like Scripture, right? It's in, it's in Scripture, by the way. But it almost sounds like that. And you go, why do we even, why are we even singing, it's your breath in my lungs? Why do we even have lungs? Why is there even breath? Why? God created, and he said it's good. His love created it. Everything has its beginning in its love, in his love. And um, God loves it. And the third is that God keeps it. God keeps it. Colossians tells us, all things were made through and for Christ. The word of God. So I'll tell you this. Science in the Bible, they don't contradict each other. They don't go head to head. One is telling us one thing, the other is telling us another thing. One's not claiming to be a science book, the other one is actually science, okay? So you can be a scientist who's a Christian, you can pursue science and and not worry, what if if, I I lose my faith or anything? I I would venture to say if you pursue science, uh, you'll probably get deeper into your faith because you'll start to learn some incredible qualities about God that we don't even know here. And and so they don't combat with each other because what Genesis 1 is doing, it's saying, and, and God said, and then you see that like out of the Trinity, God's creating, creating, creating. I enjoy, I enjoy, I enjoy. And then creation is singing back, and, but then man doesn't sing back in this way. And this is, we'll get into Genesis 3 if we start down that road. So what I would tell you is this. It's more than just saying, do signs in the Bible contradict each other? No, they don't because they're not claiming, the Bible's not claiming to be a science book. The Bible tells you a lot about a lot of things, but it doesn't tell you a lot about what a science book will tell you about, and the science book tells you a lot about a lot of things, but it doesn't tell you a lot about what the Bible will tell you about. You follow me? But it doesn't mean the Bible is not true. It doesn't mean the Bible is not trying to be biology 101. Okay? But what it does tell you is that you can receive these words. You are good. You are good. I delight in you. You are God's very good idea. You can receive those words if you're in Christ. Can we stand?